family. Uh, of course, Pastor Gabriel is my cousin. We've grown up together. Uh, we have lots of great, great memories. And then, of course, uh, my grandparents are here, Pastors Danny and Linda Mancha. Um, and then my uncle and aunt, Pastor Bobby and Melinda, just, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just overjoyed here to be with family. And uh, I, I hope it's okay. I address, address you as Uncle Bob from the platform. Um, I, I, I even hesitate to, to, to use that outside, but I, I'm very honoring of the, the gifts on their lives. You know, that's one of the things we as a family do. We honor one another's gifts. But uh, I told, uh, I had an internship group come in, and they were there with us for 11 weeks, uh, Pastor Bobby, and, and we were teaching them and, and going through courses with them. You would have loved this group. And throughout the course, we, of course, told various different stories. And I told them legends of the missionary Robert Menchaca. And, uh, and, and I mean that sincerely. In fact, one of our interns was here tonight. Vlad, go ahead and wave at them there. I told them, do you remember that? I said, do you remember, do you remember the missionary I told you about? He said, yeah, I remember. I said, well, he's sitting right there. And he, his jaw dropped. It was, it was, and, and sometimes I just want to encourage you. Sometimes I think we become so familiar with those around us. You, you're, you're sitting here with patriarchs and giants in the faith. And I want to remind you of what the Lord has deposited here. And uh, great gifts here in this body. And lots of other familiar faces I could go on uh, saying hello. But I did want to honor, of course, Pastor Gabriel, Pastor Vanessa, Pastor Danny and Linda Mancha, Pastors Robert and Melinda. They are family. That's not only why I'm saying it, but, but I, I do honor the gifts and the office on their lives. And uh, I remember just so many different ways that they've invested. Uh, Nani is what I call her, she, you know, Pastor Linda, but, uh, but Nani, she would sing to us at night, God has not given us a spirit of fear. And then she'd throw in cha-cha-cha, but a power and of love and a peace of mind, right? So she would sing scripture to us. And then, um, Uncle Bob, do you remember uh, giving me that worship CD? You and Auntie Melinda, they gave me a worship CD and I would listen to that. I remember one time, I, uh, I took uh, a group of friends of mine out to uh, Knott's Berry Farm right here, about uh, 30 minutes away. And we got in from the day. It was Bible conference that week. And we come back into the hotel where I was resting. And they had bought me and my friends pizza and drinks. And they left TBN on for me in the room. Just little things like that, little deposits. And, and, and I'm telling you, this is just... Uh, I could go on for hours just sharing stories like that, but, it, but it's, it's a real joy. This is a real treat. We, we're, we're, we're stopping at many different churches and going many different places. But uh, if I may play a little bit of favoritism, I think this is my favorite stop here. So, <laughs> so I'm happy to be here with you. Um, I want to talk to you this evening. And of course, we will minister to those who need healing, those who need deliverance. We want to obviously... Um, allow for that space for the Holy Spirit to do as He wills in those regards. But, but how many know the Word is the foundation upon which the Holy Spirit moves? I think sometimes we get it in our minds, and I'm guilty of this too, uh, so this is by no means um, a criticism without a reason. Uh, sometimes we look at moves of the Holy Spirit as if they are in contradiction to the Word of God. And we, we know this by some of the lingo that we use and some of the expressions that we use. For example, some may say things like, well, the, the service was so powerful that the preacher didn't even preach. 
And I understand that and don't hear what I'm not saying. There are certainly instances and services where the glory of God is going to be so heavily manifested, where the power of the Holy Spirit is going to move to such an intensity that there will be no time for sermons and teachings. Sometimes those are laid aside. But this idea that that is always the standard of the move of the Holy Spirit, that is coming from a place where we see the Word and the Spirit in contradiction with one another. But in fact, it is the Word that goes forward that becomes the foundation of the move of the Holy Spirit. All moves of the Holy Spirit that have longevity to them begin as seeds of the Word. We'll look at back at Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning... God obviously spoke. He created. He caused something to come from nothing. But the Bible says clearly that the Spirit of God hovered above the face of the deep. In other words, as the Father spoke, the Holy Spirit breathed upon those words, worked with the words. The Word of God is the substance with which the Holy Spirit builds the nature of Christ in you. And this is why sometimes the Holy Spirit can move upon us. We sense His power, maybe... We sense Him physically. Maybe we sense Him emotionally. And we're aware of that nearness, that abiding presence. But then there are maybe no areas of transformation. We walk away exactly the same. Why? Because we're not giving Him something upon which He can breathe. And the Word that's deposited in you, those seeds become life. His words are spirit and life. Think of Paul the Apostle, who encounters the presence of Jesus... And in that portion of scripture, you'll see that he says, Who are you, Lord? When he catches a glimpse of the Lord, he doesn't know him, but he sends such a divine authority on him that he calls him Lord. Who are you, Lord? And then suddenly the scripture says that he began to preach shortly thereafter. Why? Because the scripture had been deposited in him. The revelation had been deposited in him. And that revelation, when breathed upon by the Holy Spirit, became the transformation that he experienced. So I want to talk to you about the Holy Spirit's role in prayer. Every single one of us have an audience with God, and I think sometimes we take this for granted. And if we're not careful, we can neglect this important spiritual discipline. And prayer is, in some regards, a discipline. Now let me show you something. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Again, we're talking about the Holy Spirit's role in prayer. And I want to begin with this foundational thought because if we can catch this, and you have to ask the Holy Spirit's help for that, if we can capture this revelation, this will transform the way you pray. This will change everything about your prayer life. And once you begin to see this, it becomes apparent even as you begin to read through the Scripture for yourself and other passages. But go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. The Bible says, but the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Let's begin there because that is the beginning of prayer. Now, often the believer imagines that prayer is like climbing, climbing a ladder. And that the better I do in my performance of prayer, that the closer to God I am. Let me ask you something. How can God get any closer than within you? He that is joined to the Lord is what? One spirit. Meaning, I, I'm one with Him already. If I were to take two glasses of water, pour them together in one, you would not be able to separate one glass from the other. 
they would in that moment become united. And it is out of that union with the Holy Spirit that we pray. Now, this does not mean that we cannot begin to see the influence of prayer affect us in certain ways. But I think this small shift, if we can just see it the way it's painted in Scripture, just that little shift, as I said, can transform the way that you pray. And so often we see it as my way of trying to get closer to God. And, and to some degree that is true. But I would rather say that it's not necessarily that prayer brings you closer to God in so much that prayer gives God more influence in your life. In other words, every believer has the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 9 makes that clear. The book of Ephesians talks about that seal of salvation. And especially as you begin to look at the work of salvation, you begin to recognize that the Holy Spirit is present in you the very moment you are saved. So every believer has the Holy Spirit. The question is, does the Holy Spirit have you? Are you surrendered? And so if I am one with the Holy Spirit, then that means I am one with His joy. I am one with His peace. I am one with His love. And before you think I'm getting into New Age teachings, let me tell you, apart from the Holy Spirit, you're dust in the ground. Okay? Without the Holy Spirit, we, we don't have that life unto God. But when we are born again, the Holy Spirit begins that regenerative work and He begins to transform us from the inside out. And so, so it's not a matter of me getting more power. We say things like that, don't we? And again, I'm guilty of this too because I, I myself have that good Pentecostal lingo and I still use it to this day. I'll still say more power, but I want you to know what's meant by that when we say that. It's not as if God is withholding it from us and has to pour it out as we begin to respond in prayer. Rather, it's that He's deposited that in you already. He's given you the love. He's given you the joy. He's given you the peace. He's given you the power. He's given you the holiness, the grace, the revelation. So when you pray, you are yielding to the nature that God has placed in you. So prayer causes that which is in the Spirit to begin to affect my outer shells. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 it mentions your body, your soul, and your spirit. My body, my earth suit, this, this physical being. My soul, which makes up my personality, my mind, my will, my emotions. And then your spirit is your innermost being. What did Jesus say in John 7, 38? He said, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Talking about the Holy Spirit. So there are, there are layers to who I am. The body, the earth suit, interacts with this world around me. The soul, which is that realm of personality and decision. The exercise of the free will. And then the spirit, that is the part of me that's already connected with God. You have that connection. As a born-again believer, the Holy Spirit is not a reward for the super-spiritual. No such group. He's the only chance you have at being spiritual. In fact, he's the only chance you have at even desiring to be spiritual. And so when you pray, there is what we call spiritual growth. Now, now can, I, can I challenge you a little bit even in your thinking there? Spiritual growth, that term, and again, I use that term. We, have, we just released an e-course on spiritual growth, and we're going to continue to use that term. But let me just challenge you in the way that you think about it. Again, not a major shift, just a small adjustment to the thinking. Spiritual growth isn't even really my spirit growing. 
Why? Because I'm already one with Him in my spirit. Your spirit doesn't grow. Your spirit just is. So what do we mean by that term when we say spiritual growth? Well, that is when that which is in your spirit, who you are, begins to affect the rest of you. So spiritual growth is when who I am in the spirit begins to influence who I am in this earth. Revelation is the same. Well, doesn't the scripture say that the Holy Spirit searches and knows the deep things of God? And then it says he shares these with us? So then revelation isn't even me receiving information I don't already have. Revelation is when that which I know in my spirit is understood in the natural mind. So deposits in there. So now watch this. Now how does this have anything to do with prayer? I'm showing you here. This now shifts this, this idea to God is distant, God is out there. I have to wave and beg for his attention. And some of us imagine that. Like God is looking over from the balconies of heaven saying, you know, I would have responded to you, but you just didn't shout loud enough. You, you didn't jump high enough. You were, you were two inches away from an encounter in my presence. No. He, he's not distancing himself from us. He's not reluctant to reply. And when you view prayer as a negotiation to get God to give you his attention, that is when it becomes frustrating. Prayer is me begging to be seen, begging to be heard. Well, how would you like it if your spouse took you out and didn't talk to you, didn't look at you, and just kind of made you beg to be heard and listened to? Well, you've been talking for 10 minutes. Talk for 20 more and maybe I'll start to pay attention. Well, you, would, you would end that, that date. That w there would be some trouble. We would need to go through some counseling. There would be some issues there, right? Um, but but we, we, we think in terms of, of, of that way, even with God. Why? And so we see it as a ladder. The better I do, the closer I am. The worse I do, the further down I go. But think even further about it. Ephesians 4.30. And do not grieve the Spirit of God by the way you live. And by the way, the scripture says there that the Holy Spirit is the one who seals us unto the day of redemption. So when you make a mistake, I'm not talking about a lifestyle of unrepentant sin. We can talk about that another time. I'm talking about you as a Christian doing your best to live for God. And, and you're along this journey making a mistake here or there. Many people fret and say, well, did the Holy Spirit leave me in that moment? The scripture doesn't say he leaves. It says he grieves. He abides and you sense that grieving when you begin to make those mistakes. And so he corrects that. So it's not a performance. If you view prayer as a performance, if you view prayer as if you're twisting God's arm to even look at you, that is when you become discouraged. Why? Because who wants to pray when they don't believe God wants to hear from them? Who wants to pray when they don't, want, when they don't believe that God wants to actually talk to them? And they go and they approach him and they're wondering, Lord, when are you going to reply? Lord, when are you going to speak to me? Lord, when are you going to look at me? Lord, when am I going to have your attention? And, and it's difficult to commune with God in that way. And this is what we do. We, 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 we come to the throne room and we're begging, God, please hear me. And he's going, okay, what do you need? Lord, please, I'm begging you. 
He's saying, okay, I'm all ears. And we're, Lord, if I could just have your attention, I'm listening now. Lord, why are you ignoring me? Why? Because sometimes we're waiting for our emotions and feelings to confirm to us what we should already know by the word. And we're saying, well, well, I don't feel it, so surely he's not responding yet. I don't sense it, so surely he's ignoring me. That is what it means to live by feelings and not by faith. And so even when you go to pray, you, you may get on your knees, you may stand. Some people debate about that. I don't think it's even necessary uh, to, to, to have a, an exact posture unless, of course, instructed directly by the Holy Spirit. But now you're, you're praying, you're on your face, you're believing God, you're talking to Him, and then what begins to happen now? Thoughts. Responsibilities. Issues. Fears. Distractions. And what do we do? We stop and we say, Wow! I was perfectly at peace until I began to pray. And now that I'm beginning to pray, look at all these distractions that are now coming to my mind. No, my friend, those distractions did not show up when you went to pray. Those distractions were revealed when you went to pray. But that's what's going on within you all day long. And you were never quiet enough to know it. Well, no wonder we're walking around with anxiety and depression and frustration and anger and this sense of a distance from God. So, so, so it begins there in 1 Corinthians 6.17. Prayer begins in union. It begins with connection. It begins with oneness. I am not begging God to hear me. I have to simply approach it by faith. How much heartache and frustration would you save yourself if instead of begging God to hear you when you prayed, you simply believe that He already did. If instead of begging God to respond when you worship, you simply knew that He already was giving you an audience with Him. He's not reluctant. He's not on His last nerve with you. He's not sighing with frustration when you approach the throne room. He is happy to hear from you. He wants to hear from you, and you're welcomed into the throne room. So it begins... With oneness. I'll summarize that point like this by saying, we don't pray to connect with God. We pray from connection with God. And that small shift right there now begins to change things because now I'm not going to perform. It's not an obligation. It's an opportunity. It's something that I've been welcomed into. And now when I go to pray, I already know you already hear me. You, and you, not only do you hear me, you, you, you're happy to hear from me. Now, I, I always said I wasn't going to be one of those preachers that uses their children as illustrations, but this is just too perfect. It's the perfect analogy. When my daughter burst into the room, even if I'm busy, it's, it's, it's a joy to see that little face, even if what she's telling me doesn't make any sense. She burst into the room, and I could be on a phone call, I could be in a meeting, I could be trying to write a book or a sermon or a, a, a short sermon, and she bursts, it doesn't matter. I, I, I am drawn to her, and, and I love to see her enter the room. And, and, and if that's an earthly father, how much more will your heavenly father rejoice? We see it like, like Lord, okay, I missed, I missed prayer on Monday and Tuesday. And you should not miss prayer on Monday and Tuesday. But if you just so happen to, he's not going, well, 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 look who decided to show up. As if he's bound by time anyway. And again, don't hear what I'm not saying. We shouldn't be apathetic when it comes to prayer. And we shouldn't take it for granted, but at least begin from the finished work of the cross. 
at least begin from the perspective of the connection is there. Now, you may not be receiving the benefits of that connection because you're not enacting the discipline of prayer. That's different. For example, if there's a certain deposit that's made into your bank account, let's say there's an error in your favor. $100,000 goes in your bank account. Someone said, praise the Lord. That's right. And, and, and you have the debit card to that bank account. But that's the, that's the amount that's in your name. Now, if you lose that debit card, you still have the account. You still have the balance under your social security, under your address, with your phone number, with your email address. You didn't lose the balance. You lost your use of that balance because you lost your debit card. In the same way, that presence, that power, the wonderful spiritual attributes of the Holy Spirit, the heavenly inheritance that is ours... The, 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 the character being shaped in us that is un, unto Christ, all of that is already ours, but, but prayer and faith is that debit card that helps you to access that spiritual deposit that's been made in you. So again, we can word it how we want, but that small shift has to take place. Yes, prayer is a discipline. Yes, you ought to commit to prayer. And if you're not, you are going to lack seriously in your everyday life. Absolutely. And, and the enemy will... We'll, we'll, we'll toy with you because you're not taking prayer seriously. But again, we must understand that it begins in union. So watch this now. Go to Psalm 80:18. So first we see that it begins in union with the Holy Spirit. Here's what the Holy Spirit does. Number one, He gives you the desire to pray. Psalm chapter 80, verse 18. He gives you the desire to pray. So will not, so will not we go back from thee Quicken us, and we will call upon thy name. Patrick, help me out. Psalm 80, 18. Quicken us, and we will call upon thy name. That means the Holy Spirit calls unto you to pray. Prayer begins in that desire that the Holy Spirit gives to you. Now, this, of course, raises the question, well, does this mean that I can only go to pray when the Holy Spirit calls me? Yes. Well, then I'm not free to pray when I want, but that's not true. I'll put it to you this way. Have you ever been going about your day and suddenly you feel drawn to pray? Drawn to read the Word? That's the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart with the royal invitation saying, come away for a moment. And He'll reward you when you drop those things. You know, like when, when, when you... When you're praying, if you forget to turn your phone off and it rings and, and, and you ignore that call because it's the Lord's time, you know that in moments like that, sometimes you can sense His joy. Or, or, or when, when, when you, you've been invited somewhere or when, when there's an opportunity to go for, for maybe just something, innocent entertainment or whatever it might be, and those moments where you say, no, I, I, I want to I instead go spend it with the Lord, you will sense His joy over that. Now, this doesn't mean that you have no connection with anyone at any time. Because if you're a parent, you have the responsibilities of a parent. If you're a spouse, you have the responsibilities of a spouse. If you lead a ministry, you have the responsibility to be connected with those in that ministry. But, but there's something to be said of acting upon that spiritual desire. That which grows your spirit weakens your flesh. And that which grows your flesh weakens the influence of the spirit in your life. And so when you're drawn away in that desire, you're acting upon what the Holy Spirit gave you. 
Now, this does not mean that you can't come to him whenever you want. I'm saying that whenever you want to, that desire has been placed by the Holy Spirit. This means the desire to pray is itself an invitation to prayer. If I have that desire in me, it means I'm being invited and I must act upon it. Watch this now. Go to Ezekiel chapter 36. I'm going to read verses 26 and 27. Pastor Gabriel, I didn't even ask. What, what, and I don't mean to put you on the spot. Time-wise? Okay. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart, and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Watch this now, watch this. Verse 27. This is so powerful, I love this. I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees. Sometimes we get it backwards, don't we? We say to ourselves, if I obey God, he'll increase the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, or in increase that influence. What I'm saying to you is, is you can't even desire to do the right thing without the Holy Spirit's influence. Now, yes, your free will is still intact. It's a whole different message for a whole different time. But, but, but there, there's a response. There's an ebb and flow. It's a, it's a spiritual dance between you and the Lord where He gives a desire. You act upon that desire. The Holy Spirit, hear me now please, the Holy Spirit will give you the desire. You must make the decision. Desire comes from the Spirit, decision comes from you. Desire comes from the Spirit, discipline comes from you. Prayer is a discipline. You say, how do I pray more? You have to choose to pray more. How do I pray consistently? You have to choose to pray consistently. But that desire to do so comes from deep within. It's from within the Spirit, a royal invitation. You're being drawn into the depth of God by the Holy Ghost. And so it says that He'll put the new heart in you, a new spirit in you, so that you will follow my decrees. In other words, God gives us that new nature, and out of that new nature comes new desires. We, we pray things like, Lord, help me to overcome temptation, and that's a good prayer. Jesus said to pray that. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Of course you should pray that. But you know there's another realm from which you can pray? Not only to pray to resist the temptation, but to pray to be transformed in such a way that the temptation itself loses its power because you have new desires. To where now you walk so closely with him that what's, what once tempted you and lured you repulses you. But it comes by communion. It comes by spending time. And well, what did Jesus say? Abide in the vine. Abide in me. You'll bear much fruit. What's our job? To bear the fruit? No. Our job is to abide. Just by the mere act of prayer. Oh, Lord, help me communicate this in Jesus' name. Just by you being in prayer, you are being transformed. You say, well, I don't feel it. Doesn't matter. It's happening. Well, I'm not seeing the results. Doesn't matter. It's happening in the spirit. Something, something's happening that you're not seeing. It is impossible to accomplish nothing in prayer. For every moment you are praying, you are transforming. For every moment you are praying, your flesh is weakening and your spirit is growing. That is, by the way, 
why it's difficult to pray. You can sing, you can dance, you can shout, you can read the word, you can serve in ministry, no issue. The moment you begin to pray, your flesh starts to squirm. Why? Because prayer is the death of the flesh. It's, it's when you subject it to, to, to surrender to the Holy Spirit and you say, this is where you go to be changed. It's like you're baptizing that thing in water and not letting it up. And you're saying, you, you, you stay in there. So, so, so even though I may not feel it or sense it or see it right away, just by me abiding, praying. If I just do the abiding, he'll bring the fruit. If I do the abiding, he'll bring the joy. If I do the abiding, he'll bring the peace. He'll bring the holiness. He'll do what he needs to do to transform me. But it's his work. It's like when you go in for an operation, you don't come out of the operation patting yourself on the back and saying, look how skillful my hand moved through that whole procedure. No, you, you, what do you do? You simply put yourself on the table and say, okay, you do what you need to do. The Holy Spirit is the surgeon of the soul. And when you put yourself in that place of prayer, you're putting yourself and yielding yourself in that place and saying, you do what you need to do. But that desire comes from Him. Can we go a little deeper? Some of you may be so frustrated with yourselves and you feel like a hypocrite and you feel like you don't belong and you feel like, like when you're at church, like this just doesn't work. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I belong here. I don't think I'm one of them. And you may feel like an outsider looking in. Like you just don't quite click here. And, and you may say even to yourself sometimes, I feel like I'm such a fake because of the mistakes that you make, because of the, the issues that you're struggling with in the flesh. Can I give you some good news that doesn't sound very good at first? When, when you feel like a fake, the good news is you are a fake. You say, what? How, how's that good news? Here, let me tell you. When, you. when you make a mistake, and again, I'm not talking about willful unrepentance. I'm talking about you're, you're working with the Holy Spirit and you're saying, help sanctify me and help me and, and I want to break through. When you fall into a mistake or you choose a foolish act, you are a fake. You're a fake sinner. It's not who you really are. When, when, you, when, you, when, you, when you act in that nature, yes, you're acting in a nature that actually exists. But even Paul the Apostle wrote, when I sin, I'm not the one doing it. It's sin within me. Now, what, now, now watch out with that. Let me just say it real quick. He is not saying he is not responsible for what that decision brought about. He is not saying that he's not going to be held accountable for those mistakes. Sin has consequences. God judges, yes. But, but what he's saying is, I don't identify with that part of me that desires that. And, and so, so you, you begin to, to work out of this new identity. And, and that desire there now shows you that something is taking place. The Bible tells us in Galatians 5 that, that the Holy Spirit resists the flesh and then the flesh resists the spirit. And so Christians often ask, well, well I, I don't really know. Sometimes I feel like I'm not real. I feel like it's not. Let me ask you, if you're not a real Christian, who is there resisting the sin nature? If you're not a real Christian, why are you so frustrated with your sin nature? If you didn't have the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't be struggling with sin. You would just be sinning. The fact that there is a battle is proof that the Holy Spirit is in you fighting it. 
And so, so this is desire now. Now, once you go to that place of prayer, number two, he guides you when you pray. So number one, he gives you the desire to pray. And number two, he guides you when you pray. Psalm 143 verse 10 says this, Teach me to do your will. For you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. May your good spirit lead me. He helps to keep you stable. Now, when I first began to commit myself to prayer, I had a system to it. And you'll learn very quickly that you cannot systemize the spiritual. I, I would say, I want to be like Uncle Bob. He prays for hours and hours a day. And I don't even know if I've told him this, but there'd be times he would come out of the prayer room because he would stay at my, my grandmother's house sometimes and we would be there, me and Gabo. We'd be, me and Pastor Gabriel would be going to bed as your dad was waking up to pray. And there were times when he would come out of the office or when they were staying in the States for some time and you could sense the weight of glory on him coming out of that prayer room. As a kid, I could feel it. And you knew. And so I said, I want, I want to pray like, like him. Or I, want, I would want to pray for hours like I heard Pastor Benny or Miss Coleman. And, and all these different stories of, of great men and women of God. And so I, I, would, I would go to my room and I would say things like, okay, I'm going to pray for one hour at least. And I would pray and I would pray and I would pray. And I'd say, surely I must have been here for 45 minutes. I would look at the clock and five minutes had passed. <laughs> Point of frustration there. But we do that, don't we? And then we want to... Systemize. Okay, well, when, when, do, when, do I, when do I make my prayer requests? And when do I cast out the devils? And when do I pray for other people? When do I sing worship songs? And when do I read the scripture? Can I stand when I pray? Do I have to sit when I pray? Must I kneel when I pray? Is God okay if I lie down when I pray? Or does he see that as disrespectful? Do I have to say everything out loud? Do I have to always pray in tongues? Can I pray in my mind? And then I would get as details as, do I have to pray in my mind when I pray in tongues? Is that even possible? All of these different complicated questions. Not realizing that it's not a formula, it's a flow. It's not a formula, it's a flow. Flowing with the Holy Spirit. I'm not fighting Him. In other words, I'm not resisting the work that He wants to do. And I'm not forcing Him. I'm not trying to get Him to do what He doesn't want to do. I'm just flowing. And many Christians, when they pray, they're, they're sipping from the river instead of jumping in. They're just, they, you know why? You want to sip because you can control the direction. Oh, but when you get in that river, you never know where God's going to take you. You never know. Oh, help me, Lord. You never know what He's going to confront in you. And this, by the way, is why some Christians neglect prayer because they already know the thing God's going to confront when they get there. They're fighting that in their conscience and they're trying, to, they're trying to debate him and they're trying to reason with him and they're trying to, to get him to change his mind about it. And he's already saying yes or no and, and we fight that. Well, just ask the disciples. Well, what did Jesus tell them? He said, pray, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest. And then they pray to the Lord of the harvest and in the very next chapter, he sends them. Prayer is less about receiving or getting God to do and it's more about becoming who and what God desires. Prayer does not change the direction of the river of God's will. Prayer puts you in the river. Romans chapter 8 verses 26, 27 and 28. 
Are you receiving this this evening? Romans 8, 26, 27, and 28. Let me show you something. This is one of my favorite portions of Scripture. There's so much here in, this, in just this short portion. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Now, this is not talking about the gift of speaking in tongues here. This is talking about what I would call the source of the gift of speaking in tongues. There's a subtle difference there. Just, just take a look at it sometime in the future. It's, it, there's a whole study you might want to do on that. It's interesting. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for, those, for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. So we quote that part, right? We know that all things work together for the purpose. But look at what's before the Holy Spirit's pleading. You ever been going about your day and maybe you've, been, you've had a bad week where you're not exactly as spiritual as you should be. You're, as they say, in the flesh. And then all of a sudden there's this fresh desire to go and pray and read the Word and get things right. You don't know where it came from. You didn't ask for it. It just happened. It's the pleadings of the Holy Spirit. Now notice it says there, He prays for us. First of all, He prays. Wow. The Holy Spirit prays. He prays for us. The one who knows us like nobody else knows us. Every flaw, every secret, every motive, all the good things too. He knows us like nobody else knows us. So he can pray for us like nobody else can pray for us. And then it said, he prays with groanings. This is implying this deep, passionate prayer. Now my, my, my nanny prays for us. All the grandkids, the whole family really. She's got a massive prayer list now. Family keeps growing. And I remember... You, I don't know if you remember this. You sat me on the counter in, in the house here in Hawthorne. And you're, we're, we're sitting there, and you're telling me just how much you love Jesus. She's curling her hair, how much she loves Jesus. And I, be, I begin to think, okay, interesting. She, she really loves this Jesus guy. And I, and I said to her, I said, well, well, who do you love more, me or Jesus? <laughs> I don't know if you remember this. And she, she very gently gave me the truth. Now, some parents these days are like, you shouldn't tell a child that it'll damage them. I'm telling you, it, it was one of the best things I ever heard. She said, I love Jesus more than you. I love Jesus more than I love your poppy. I love Jesus more than I love your dad. She says, I love Jesus more than I love anybody. And I didn't think, oh, poor me, my grandma doesn't love me. <laughs> what I thought was, she must really, really love Jesus. And so, 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 but think about this. Think about this. You have a praying grandmother, you know what that's like. I have a praying grandmother, grandfather, praying uncle and aunt, right? So, so I, I know how they pray for their kids and their grandkids. I know how they pray for, the, for their spouses and their family and their friends. I've heard them. And there's passion and love and, and there's nothing quite like the prayer of a parent. But think about this. The Holy Spirit prays for you with more passion than a grandparent prays for a grandchild. He prays for you with more passion than you as a parent pray for your own child. He's not just praying. He's groaning from deep within. There's that deep passion, that desire, that zeal. He prays for you. Now watch this. This is the key. He prays for you and pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. In other words, 
His prayers are pulling you into the will of God. They're, they're, they're guiding you along the right path. That is why when you're a true believer, you are miserable in your disobedience. That is why when you're a true believer, no matter what you do, you just can't seem to get God's hand off of you. It's just going to be on you. And he, he, he walks through your life with you. And even in those seasons of disobedience, He will send what He needs to send. Just ask Jonah. He will send what He needs to send to get you back on track because He loves you too much to leave you to yourself. He loves you too much to leave you to your compromise. He loves you too much to leave you to your sin. He loves you too much to leave you to mediocrity. The Holy Spirit pleads. He pulls us into alignment with the will of God. What an advantage. Lift your hands and say, thank you, Jesus. What an advantage we have with the Holy Spirit. So He guides you when you pray. So when you are praying, this is, by the way, what it means to pray in the Spirit. Two times in the Scripture, you, or three times, you see that phrase, pray in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit. Two out of three times, it's not talking about the gift of tongues. I believe in the gift of tongues. I think every Christian should pray in tongues. That's a whole different message for a whole different time. But that was in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He's talking about praying in the Spirit. In the other references, like, for example, Jude chapter 1, verse 20, when it talks about praying in the Spirit, it's not specifically referring to the gift of speaking in tongues. It's talking about praying with the guidance of the Holy Spirit in alignment with the will of the Holy Spirit and by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to pray in the Spirit in two out of the three times it's mentioned in Scripture. To, to pray within perfect alignment with who He is. And while you are praying, you will sense Him. I, I can't explain it. You try to explain sight to a man born blind or, or hearing to a man born deaf. It's not something that can be explained. People say, what does God sound like? I say, you'll never know until you hear Him for yourself. And so, so, so that, that, that sense as you're praying, he will, you will feel it, you will know it, He will lead you to moments of prayer. There are times when the Holy Spirit will say, pray for this person, and you'll just know it, that it's the Holy Spirit. There are times when you're praying, the Holy Spirit will say, just worship, and you know it's time to worship. You know it's time to use the gift of tongues. You know it's time to intercede or cast out devils, whatever it may be. And He guides you when you pray. That's number two. So number one, he gives you the desire to pray. Number two, he guides you when you pray. Number three, here's my favorite, he transforms you when you pray. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16, 17, and 18. I'm going to read this portion of Scripture, and then I want us to pray. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 3, verses 16, 17, and 18. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Verse 18. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. This is powerful. Verse 16 talks about a revelation that occurs. Someone turns to see Jesus and the veil is taken away. That means now I can, I can clearly catch a glimpse of who He is. You know, you become, that, you become like that which you worship. What you set your affections on dictates who you become. 
For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. This may be a little philosophical, but I often wondered, if the presence of the Holy Spirit is everywhere, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, then there shouldn't be any bondage anywhere. But this isn't talking about the omnipresence of the Holy Spirit. This is talking about the influence of the Holy Spirit that we invite through lifestyles of obedience and surrender. He, he, he begins to do a work. He begins to start to, to pick on those areas that we're not quite ready to, to let go of. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory. This is so powerful. He, he, you can see him in the spirit. And as you see, you reflect. We are not sources of light. We are reflections of a light. When that veil is removed now, I have a clear, clear, clear line of sight at him. And, and who he is begins to impress upon who I am. And the glory of the Lord shines on me. And I grow to reflect that image. And it begins to transform those areas of my heart. Even those areas in which I might be the most stubborn. John 3.30, I must decrease, but he must increase. You know, I believe in the prophetic. It's a beautiful expression of God's heart. But the ability to prophesy is not the final achievement of prayer. I believe in deliverance. I practice deliverance. And to see someone set free from a demonic power, that is, there are a few things like that. To see the look of relief on their faces. But deliverance and the ability to cast down devils is not the final achievement of prayer. I believe in healing. And I believe many will be healed tonight. But healing is not the final achievement of prayer. Nor is power. Nor are the gifts. Do you know what prayer is? It's when I decrease... He increases. There's so many ways. There's so many ways I'm not like Jesus. And every time I see Jesus in the scripture, I'm saying, Lord, make me more like you. Oh, we have our insecurities. We have our bitterness. We have our misreadings of one another. We have our divisions. We have our debates. We have our sins. We have our pride. We have our anger philosophies and cultures and God is just trying to burn all of that away and then we hang on to these things these little things that get into our hearts and it happens to all of us but I want to be like Jesus the greatest demonstration of the Holy Spirit's work in your life is not power it's the character of Christ so all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is, who is spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. That's what I want. I want that. I want him to, 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 to touch on those areas of my heart and life that maybe hurt a little or maybe have become dry because, because, because I've not allowed the river of the spirit to flow and touch it but, but there, there's something in all of us there's something in 
all of us, there's something in all of us, there's something in each one of us that needs to change. It needs to be like Jesus. And I'll be the first in line to say, I've got a long list of things that, that the hand of God is, is molding out of this clay. That must go and that has to go. And that can stay, but not for long. And we'll work on that part later. And, 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 and it can be so complicated. It can be so overwhelming. Especially when you begin to make that list in your mind of, well, I should work on my patience. I should work on my love. I should work on my kindness. I should work on my forgiveness. I should work on my servanthood. I should work on human. Or, Holy Spirit, lead me. I don't have to beg. I don't have to plead. I just say, you are the potter. Here I am. Do your work. That's what I want. If that's what you want, come stand at the altar. Let's pray and agree together. You'll say, I want to be like Jesus more and there's areas in my life where I could be more like Jesus then just come and pray with us stand to your feet right now and come and pray with us